Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 249 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, the Ring Digital YouTube channel, and of course, ringtv.com. This is the last episode of 2020, TNC for the week of January 2nd. Great year in boxing, despite all the craziness, but we're not quite done yet. We got a couple more fights to check out before the end of this year, and we got a really, really good one to kick off 2021. And in fact, the first quarter of the next year of 2021 is really coming together. And I got a Christmas present, a holiday present, whatever you want to call it, a year-end, goodbye 2020, good riddance, and bring in 2021 present for all of you guys that we're going to announce here in a couple minutes. I think you'll be happy about it. Uh, I don't know if I've brought it up yet, but the latest issue of The Ring Magazine is out. This is actually actually the February issue with Teofimo Lopez on the cover. And in this issue, my latest piece titled In With The New. And this is a piece specifically about who I call the Fab Five. Five fighters in and around the lightweight division. Five fighters from America coming up right now. Uh, some of them are still considered prospects. Some of them are still considered contenders. One of them is a bona fide, undisputed champion. I think these five guys are going to take over. So make sure you check out this piece in the latest issue of Ring Magazine. Of course, you don't have to subscribe to the physical magazine if you don't want to. You can subscribe digitally. And you'll get all the articles and everything there, guys. So make sure you check that out. Uh, Captain Hook Chronicles on the chat says, Hot water and your heritage, wine, wine. Man, I drank a lot of wine this weekend, brother. I am detoxing for a few days before some friends come down here to hang out for New Year's. Uh, It was actually really great, uh, despite everything that my family has been through recently. It was nice to have my mother, father, sister, brother-in-law, and nephew uh, down here for Christmas. My dad dressed up as Santa for my nephew, Luca, who turns two years old next month. Uh, He was kind of weirded out at first, but he started to warm up to Santa. Luca got a, a good haul this year, man. He got a lot of presents. We got him all kinds of fun stuff. It was just a lot of fun just watching the little guy run around the house and play with all his presents. But we ate a lot, we drank a lot, and overall, despite everything that's been going on, we had a really, really merry Christmas. It even snowed here in Atlanta a little bit on Christmas Eve. That was pretty cool and unexpected. So um, I'll be drinking some more wine this weekend, but I need a, I need to detox for a couple of days. Drinking hot water right now sounds great. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thanks guys for joining uh, here on the YouTube, Ring Digital YouTube channel, of course, for all of you listening live to the audio that's going out live right now on Spreaker, on my platform, Ontario Unboxing, and then, of course, subsequent to the show being over, it distributes all over uh, audio podcast platforms around the world. So, as always, guys, one last time this year, I'm going to ask you, for all that we've done here on TNC, all the awesome guests that we've had on and all the great guests we're going to have on in the future and all the great shows, all the great phone calls from you guys, the awesome comments, questions, all of it. Um, I ask you to please share the show. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, get the word out. And a couple more minutes, I'll give you 
your Christmas present. Okay, but for right now, let's start off with, uh, unfortunately, some sad news. Some quick news and notes. Um, and unfortunately, we're going to start on a sad note, and then we'll get to some more positive stuff. But last week, uh, Frankie Randall died at the age of 59. And he's most well known as being the, the first guy who officially beat Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., that kind of was his glory night, if you will. He never really reached the pinnacle like that again in his career, although he did win titles and, and had a solid, solid career. Uh, had some struggles you know, in his personal life after boxing. Uh, passed his way at the, the young age of 59 years old. So our thoughts are with the Randall family. And a, a personal friend of mine, a member of the Fight Media, uh, a boxing photographer, Cynthia Saldana passed away last week due to complications from COVID-19. Her and her husband, Anthony Saldana, both got it right at the same time. Uh, Anthony was able to recover fully. He's fine, physically fine. But uh, his wife, uh, unfortunately, she was hospitalized for a couple of days and she passed away last week. This was a tough one. And actually, I found out... Uh, Within the hour of her death, I found out maybe 45 minutes after she died. And she was very young, only a couple of years older than me. And Cynthia uh, and Anthony, they, they've been together since high school. I think they were 15 years old. So, so I mean, they were really each other's best friend. And um, I gave Anthony a call. Uh, it's just, it's so ironic. I mean, same name as my brother, who I recently lost. And Anthony was one of the uh, folks who called me when it was discovered that my my brother had died about a month ago, you know, he called me and that meant a lot. And he just said, hey, man, I'm here for you. And it was really just crazy that a month or so later, I was calling him and saying, hey, man, uh, I'm here for you, like you were here for me. So anything you need. And of course, there's nothing you can say, nothing you can do. Uh, unfortunately, I, I kind of know how he feels. Anyway, Cynthia Saldana, uh, the Saldanas are wonderful people, good friends of Tiffany and, and mine, um, regular, um, you see them pretty much at every fight card in the greater Los Angeles area from club shows all the way up to the big shows. So the regular fixture in the, the Southern California boxing community, Cynthia took some, uh, some photos that have been featured, uh, many different, pl- several different platforms, and they do a lot of regular work with the WBC uh, Anthony works uh, a lot with veterans, just great people. So our thoughts are with the Saldana family as well, okay? And I ask you guys to to please, uh, I'm, I'm not a particularly religious person, but if, if you're religious, you know, please say a prayer for, for the Randall family, for the Saldana family, and please just, just think about them, okay? All right, so let's move on uh, to boxing news. Uh, Canelo Alvarez and Avni Yildirim fighting February 27th in Guadalajara, Mexico. Who gives a shit? Now, some people hate this. Some people love it. We all know what this is. This is the WBC maneuvering in here. Uh, This is a gimme fight, a complete layup for Canelo. It's going to be in Mexico. It's, It's a homecoming for him. It's business. This is just business. Now, a lot of people are shitting on this fight. They, they hate it. Look, you don't have to watch, okay? If this goes to pay-per-view in any way, shape, or form, shame on all parties involved. But if you already have a subscription to The Zone and you get this with your subscription, hey, you can watch. You don't have to watch. 
But this is going to be a big event down in Mexico. And here's where I'm going to give you the silver lining in this matchup, okay? I think Canelo might actually fight three times in 2021 after only fighting once this year. So if one of those three fights is Avni Yildirim, who has no business being in the ring with him, after he just defeated a guy who was in a complete, you know, a level or two below him, he's going to get in there with a guy who's two or three levels below him. I don't mind it if the other two fights in 2021 are against guys like, it's probably going to be Golovkin. Uh, but what if it's another top guy at 168? Maybe it's against a David Benavidez. Maybe it's against a Billy Joe Saunders. Not that those guys are really on his level either. They're still very unproven, but they're solid opponents. So if Canelo ends up fighting three times next year and two of the three fights are against top-level opposition, I don't mind this fight that damn much. I truly, truly don't. Okay, real quick, I want to mention this. Um, Vasily Lomachenko made some some news over the last couple weeks because there was an uh, interview with the Ukrainian YouTube channel where he was talking about his fight with Tiafima Lopez. And I want to say it was it was a long interview. But there was a section of the interview where he talked about um, the judging, the, the scoring for his fight with Tiafima Lopez. And he used the word bribed. He used the word bribed to describe the judges. And this this of course, came with a bunch of criticism. It's a bad look. I didn't like it. I tweeted about it like, hey, man, this isn't a good look. It, it looks like he's being a sore loser. However, I want to make a distinction here. There are some people with agendas trying to equate Lomachenko's comments to Deontay Wilder's. They are on completely different stratospheres. Fighters have made excuses and had all sorts of conspiracy theories for losses going all the way back to the history of boxing, going back literally centuries, okay? And athletes do this when they lose in all sports. It goes back to the the ancient Greek Olympics, all right? So while I think this is a really shitty look for, for Loma, and I don't agree with what he said, it is in no way comparable to what Deontay Wilder has said all throughout the year, okay? And flat out accusing his own corner of cheating him, the entire uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission cheating him, the referee, he used the term crab in a bucket to describe the referee, he blamed his opponent for cheating, right? Not on the same stratosphere. Also, Joe Santa Liquido, a fellow BWAA member, actually the president right now, he runs it and does a great job doing it, posted a piece on ringtv.com. I highly recommend you go and read it. RingTV.com, best news source in the game. And on there, Joe talked to, he talked to uh, to Lomachenko. And I'm going to just give you guys a couple of comments because Loma walked back the comments that he said on that Ukrainian interview. He said it was taken out of context and it was uh, translated incorrectly. Now, I'm not here to tell you Loma's full of shit or not. You guys can make up your mind on that one. I do know sometimes these things can get lost in translation. Translation. Let me just give you a couple of quick quotes from Joe's piece, but I still want you guys to go read it, okay? Read the whole damn thing. But uh, this is word for word from Lomachenko in regards to his bribed comments on that one video. Ah, Jesus Christ. Hang on one second, guys. I'm getting a phone call right in the middle of my show. 
I keep getting phone calls in the middle of my show screwing it up. All right, sorry about that for those of you watching on YouTube. For those of you listening on Spreaker, you didn't see the video get screwed up. But when people call, since I'm doing it on my phone here, uh, it messes up the video. Anyway, Lomachenko's comments. And, and, uh, and I quote, I didn't say the judges were bribed. I said they were not being objective and they were being biased. They were not being objective in my personal opinion. I, after I saw the scorecards, I knew the judges were against me. And he said this through Egis Klimas, his manager who knows him and can translate better for him. At the same time, he can also clean up like a politician has PR people that clean up some of their misstatements. Maybe that's what Egis Klimas is doing here. Maybe Loma was taken out of context. Maybe it's a little bit of both. I'll let you guys decide. But he continues, I cannot judge the judges and give them any scores, but the way I fought the way I felt during the fight, I didn't feel I lost the fight. I had to watch the fight. Oh, by the way, I, I, I'm going to give one more quote here. He, he goes on to talk about CompuBox and the CompuBox punch stats, which Lomachenko doesn't agree with. He says, CompuBox stats said it was 183 punches landed by Tiafima Lopez. Um, and then he goes on to say, I watched and I counted 150 punches. CompuBox was offed was off too. He touched my body with his gloves and he did not uh and he did not hit him with hard punches. So anyway, go on and read that piece guys, but that is essentially Lomachenko saying, "Look, I didn't say there was a, you know, conspiracy theory and top rank bribed the judges or whatever. Here's what I meant by my comments." Now again, whether you agree with that, whether you think he's full of shit, whether you think he's this is damage control, that is for you to decide. But again, I will reiterate. Even if he said the judges were bribed, which I completely disagree with and it's a shitty look, it is in no way comparable to Deontay Wilder's craziness this year. And some people on Twitter and social media are trying to make it seem like it is false equivalents. Don't go there, guys. All right? Don't go there. Um, Hamed in the chat asks, Mike, how come you don't use your computer or laptop to do my video? So without getting into a bunch of technical jargon, uh, the way I have things set up with, I'm, do, I'm using Spreaker Studio and I'm using YouTube Studio with the live video and live phone calls through Skype and a couple of other uh, there's actually, I have a mixer here and I have a couple of other programs that put all this together and mix it. It has to run through the phone. Uh, YouTube Live right now, the best way to do it, the easiest, most convenient way to do it with everything else I have involved is through the phone. And you still, you get the HD and all that stuff. If you go through a computer uh, camera, it's going to look like shit. But then also it makes it more complicated getting the live phone calls and all the other stuff that I have on the show. It's easier to do it through the phone. I hope and I pray that over the next few years, this technology gets better and there's ways to separate things out. I will tell you guys this. I'm working on hooking up the show through Zoom, which I've talked about before. I won't go too much into it now because we're still working it all out. But if and when I do that, it should help solve the problem of phone calls to my personal phone screwing up the show because it will be th through Zoom. It'll be through a separate line. All right. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm not going to go into too much more on that. But hopefully this is a problem. Now, as the show gets better, the technology improves, uh, that, that will be less and less of an issue. All right. So I'm ready to give you guys my Christmas present. This is my thank you to all of you. I have 
worked with the folks at Ring and I've gotten it okayed from the boss man that we no longer are going to have ads on TNC, on the Ring Digital YouTube channel. No more ads. No more video ads. No more overlay ads. It is now demonetized. And in fact, I have gone back and demonetized the entire video series on the Ring Digital YouTube channel. So here at the Ring Digital YouTube channel, this is the only place in the world that you get this show, the video, ad-free. Let me repeat that, ad-free. Several of you complained, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, but complained in a justifiable way. I completely understand about all the ads that were all over the videos. And for the record, I didn't choose the amount of ads or which ads or the placement. That is completely up to Google. They have an algorithm that determines where the ads go. And I'm with you guys. YouTube recently has become just way over the top with the, with the ads. It's it's on every damn channel, particularly with live videos, long live videos. They love throwing ads in there. And it's just it's just shitty to try to get into a show and every five minutes there's a damn ad. It drives me nuts. So I completely understood and sympathized with you guys, uh, empathized with you guys. So I went to Ring and we worked it out. And going forward, no ads, all right? What other freaking boxing podcast out there right now is giving you live videos, phone calls, and doing all of it with no ads? I don't know which one is. I, I think we're the only one. We're certainly one of very, very few. So anyway, that is what I wanted to do for you guys with this last TNC episode of 2020. No ads. You guys notice there's, if you're watching live right now, there's no banner ads or anything on the video. If you go back and watch the replay later, you won't have to deal with any damn annoying ads. And once again, I will reiterate, you only get it here on the Ring Digital YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe, click the damn notification bell. And by the way, if you ever want to go back and watch an older episode since we've come over to Ring, I went back through the entire playlist and demonetized it, okay? No more ads here, guys. That is my holiday year-end slash Christmas slash whatever you're into present to you to say thank you for all that you do. If you listen to the audio version, which I know some of you guys out there, that's the way you like to listen to the show, on my platforms, you're still going to get ads. And I can't control how many ads there is, how long they are. I just don't control any of that. It's up to the platform. They determine all that. If you want to get it ad-free, make sure you get it here. All right, guys? Let's very, very quickly do a review preview. And then at the end of the show, we're going to do a best of. I'm going to tell you guys my picks for the best of 2020. I can also give you very, very quickly the BWAA nominees for each category, which we have uh, voted on and released now to the public. And we still haven't picked our winners but I can let you guys know who the nominees are, all right? So let me jump in, and let's just start with some of the obvious ones. And, and I don't think these should be controversial. Unfortunately, it always is in boxing. But fighter of the year, guys, there are two top candidates, Tyson Fury, Teofimo Lopez. And obviously at ring, we went with, we went with a co-fighter of the year. I didn't like that. For me... The fighter of the year clearly is this man, Teofimo Lopez. He is the fighter of the year 
in 2020. An outstanding performance against Vasily Lomachenko. And Tyson Fury had an outstanding performance against Deontay Wilder. And both of these guys told us what they were going to do. And they did it. They backed up their words. We didn't believe them. Most of us didn't believe them. We thought they could win, but we didn't think they could win. Most of us, including myself, didn't think they could win, didn't expect them to win the way that they did. I was thoroughly impressed, obviously, with Tyson Fury, but I went back and I wasn't, and I've admitted this before, I did not give Tiafima Lopez enough credit for the way he fought against Lomachenko. And he clearly won that fight, guys. I've gone back and I've watched it a few times. Lopez won the fight. I do believe it was close and competitive. I feel Lomachenko certainly had moments, but Tio won the fight. And for a guy that young, he's what, 23 years old? To beat a pound-for-pound top five level guy, I don't give a shit who you are. If you know anything about boxing, you had Loma in your top five. Some people had him number one pound-for-pound. I had him right up there with like Terrence Crawford at the time of this fight, the, the fight between Loma and Lopez. So that's why I give the edge to Teal. With Tyson Fury, he beat a guy in Deontay Wilder that was rated as a top heavyweight. But let's be honest, the heavyweight division is nowhere near as good as the lightweight division in terms of talent, pound for pound. And Deontay Wilder was so unproven. I understand he had a title. He defended it a bunch of times. But look at the guy's resume. He had still had questions about him going into this rematch with Fury. I don't rate beating Wilder as highly as I rate beating Lomachenko. So, so Teofimo Lopez is the fighter of the year. And I can tell you guys, the BWAA are uh, fighter of the year nominees. Canelo Alvarez, Gervonta Davis, Tyson Fury, Teofimo Lopez, Errol Spence, and Joe Smith Jr. Those are the nominees. We haven't picked our winner yet at the BWAA. By the way, I don't agree with all those nominees. I'm just telling you, those are our nominees over at BWAA. We have a democratic process there, all right? So the fighters with the top votes get in as the list of nominees. But for me, it's unanimous, Teofimo Lopez. Let's talk about the fight of the year. Because to me, again, this is just, it's just obvious. How can you vote for any other fight than Jose Zapeda versus Ivan Branchek? How do you vote for any other fight? Uh, to me, that is hands down the fight of the year. BWAA nominees, Davis versus Santa Cruz, uh, Carlos Gongora versus Ali Akhmadov. That got in there just, you know, right at the end of the year. I think that's also an upset of the year nominee as well, obviously. Juan Francisco Estrada versus Carlos Cuadras too. Remember that one? It feels like it was forever ago. That was this year. Like, for me, when I thought about that, I'm like, was that 2020? Holy shit. But uh, Masayoshi Nakatani versus Felix Verdejo, that also is an upset of the year candidate. But fight of the year candidate, too, because it was two-way action, back and forth, right? That was a come-from-behind win. Alexander Povetkin versus Dillian White, same thing. That was a minor upset. Look at the odds. That was a minor upset. White was favored to win, and Povetkin got off the canvas twice. But it's a pay to Baranchek, man. You can't, you can't go against that for 2020 fight of the year. So that's an obvious one. Let's jump to, um, to upset of the year. Upset of the year. I talked about Carlos Gongora and uh, Ali Akhmadov. Did you guys know there was 8-1 to one odds? Akhmadov was supposed to win that fight. 8-1. to one. And Gongora comes back after a slow start. 
wins by KO12. Tiafima Lopez versus Vasily Lomachenko. That's a candidate. I'm just talking about candidates right now. My own personal. Jason Rosario versus Julian Williams. Remember that? There was huge odds in that fight. Uh, Williams was a massive favorite, betting favorite in that fight. Jessica McCaskill versus Cecilia Brekus. It's you now some people felt that Brekus won that fight. A lot of people did, but the official result is McCaskill won. And even her, even if you thought it was like a draw, that was still an upset. Brekus was seen by many as the pound for pound best female fighter, long reigning champion. So that's a candidate. Robert Hellenius versus Adam Kovnachi. Remember that? That was this year. It's it like everything pre-COVID feels like ages ago. This has been the longest year ever. Uh, but, man, that was this year. That was a big upset. For me, for my money, I got to go Rosario Williams for several reasons. Julian Williams, coming off that huge win over Jarrett Hurd, was seen as the top guy in the division after that win by many people. And he he looked really, really good against Jarrett Hurd, you know, who was seen as a top guy. And Jason Rosario had a couple losses, just wasn't seen as a threat. This was kind of seen, this was in Philly. This was like a homecoming fight for J-Rock. Odds were massively in his favor. And he didn't just lose, but he lost big. Rosario finished the show, finished the show pretty early. It was a pretty early rounds knockout. And we saw Rosario in his very next fight. We saw his level, okay? He just struck lightning in a bottle against J-Rock. And when I think of upset of the year, that's what comes to mind. Because Rosario's not an elite fighter. We saw that against Charlo. We've seen that in every other one of his fights, honestly. And that's not me beating up on the guy. It's just being honest. But against J-Rock, he put it all together. Right place, right time. Magic happened. To me, that's the upset of the year. Let's talk about robbery of the year. And I just realized, I, I told you guys I was going to do review preview uh, first, but I guess we'll just go right, we'll just finish the uh, the best of 2020 and then do the review preview. Oops, I lied. Uh, robbery of the year. Unfortunately, we had a few of these, but um, man, we had one of these recently. Raymart Gabayo, split decision win over Emmanuel Rodriguez. I think that was what, two weeks ago on a PBC card. Horrible decision. Absolutely horrible decision. At least one judge got that right. But John Mackey had it scored wrong, and Don Trella had it scored wrong. Don Trella's a name we're starting to hear too often when it comes to shitty scorecards. He used to be a very reliable judge, but too often now he's going with the house fighter. He is just a house judge. Another guy that's becoming a house judge is Glenn Feldman, who was a good judge for a long time. But Don Trella and Glenn Feldman, uh, bad judges. John McKay, he's had a couple of bad cards, but he's not. I wouldn't put him up there uh, on the list with those other guys. But anyway, in that fight, that was the house guy, Gabayo, winning, getting a decision. I think it was a PBC card, PBC fighter. He got a decision. That was an absolute freaking robbery. But the one that was worse, also a PBC card, Rolando Romero, unanimous decision win over Jackson Marinez. Do you remember that? Those scorecards, all three judges had that one really, really bad. Glenn Feldman, 116-112. Don Trella, 115-113. Again, those guys, they are house judges. When you see them on a uh, assigned to a fight, you need to immediately be concerned. But Frank Lombardi had this fight 118-110 for Rolando Romero. 
most ringside observers thought that Jackson Marinez won this fight hands down. I'm going to give that my robbery of the year in 2020. By the way, guys, if I'm forgetting anything, if I'm forgetting a fight, fighter, whatever, remind me. But uh, Because, again, this has been a long, long year, a very long year. But, yeah, for me, that is the 2020 robbery of the year. Romero, unanimous decision over Marinez. A real quick milk carton award. This is one I like to do just about fighters who just kind of disappeared. Remember back in the day when someone was missing uh, on a milk carton, they'd show their picture and they'd say, have you seen me? Remember that? That's why I call this the milk carton award. I wonder if they did that everywhere or they just did it here in the United States. Canada Chris in the chat says, Beevil, yes, sir. You, You knew where I was going with this. Dimitri Beevil, last fought in October 2019. But runner-up, real close runner-up, I got to say, Manny Pacquiao. He lost. He last fought in July of 2019. So he's actually been out of the ring longer than Dimitri Bivol. But he's also a star and well past his prime in the, the, the final days of his career. So I, it's not that big of a deal for Dimitri Bivol. He's in the prime of his career. And he hasn't fought in, I don't know, 15 months. So I think he is definitely the winner of the Milk Carton Award. Looks like we got a caller here, guys. Let's uh, break it up and go uh, take this call real quick. Hang on one second. All right, 447, you're on the show. Yeah. Hello, Mike. It's Hamid. How's Hamid. it going? I just want to say Merry Christmas as well. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's good to hear you back. Uh, I thought I'd call you. I wanted to talk about a couple of stuff. Uh, first thing, you talk about judging. Do you remember a guy called Tommy Kazmerich? Uh, yep. The guy who gave De La Hoya the win over Mayweather. He mysteriously disappeared after that fight. Uh, do you think Do you think something happened to him? <laughs> or do you think uh, that was just down to how powerful Mayweather was? I don't know, man. I'm trying to think. I, I need, let me look him up. Because he used to get regular work. I think it was Kazmarek with a K, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it was odd. Like, he's the only ever judge, I think, in Vegas to give a fight uh, against Mayweather. And then he never ever judged uh, Mayweather fight again. Like, Oh, yeah. When you, when you went against odd. Floyd, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Um, yeah, Tom's last fight, I'm just looking right now, was in 2009. So it was, a long time. it was not too long after that fight that he, he disappeared. Yeah, yeah I think he, he judged a couple of big fights after that. I mean, he judged Martinez, Cintron, Frotch, Pascal. So, you know, a couple of good fights, but nothing as big. Oh, Vasquez, Marquez, one of those fights. Because, yeah, I remember hearing yeah. his name a lot. But, yeah, the last super fight he judged was that fight with uh, De La Hoya and Floyd, and man, if you went against Floyd, once Floyd became the man, and it was you know after he beat De La Hoya, he was seen as the man. Yeah, I'm looking right here. That fight was in uh, May 5th, 2007. After that, uh, he was definitely on the outs there uh, at the in the Nevada <laughs> scene. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I don't even know if he scored yeah. another fight in Nevada, man, because I'm looking. I'm looking at the rest of his career after that. He was an East Coast guy. I remember that. And most of his fights after that were in New York and Connecticut and nothing in Nevada yep. at all. Yep. 
I, I don't think that was the worst scorecard. Like, uh, if I'm talking about uh, comparing that scorecard, I don't think it was the right scorecard, but just watching that fight live, I could see how... I know how a lot of casuals at De La Hoya winning or how a lot of people did... Uh, like, watching it live, it was a close fight, but, like, the Adelaide Bird scorecard and uh, CJ Ross, those were scorecards I thought that, like... A sackable offense. <laughs> like yeah. uh, that, having Delahoya drawing that fight to even live, I could see how some people may have saw it. But yeah, I disagreed with that. But I was going to say, regarding the fight of the year, I I was talking about this the other day with a couple of people. I do think Lomachenko, beating Lomachenko is obviously much better than Wilder. But do you think uh, the way Fury beat uh, Wilder in his own sense? You could argue he was a fighter of the year. I'm not saying ahead of Lopez, but in their own right, do you think both those wins were great in their own right, the way he beat Wilder? Absolutely. And I think you could argue it's the performance of the year. Honestly, I see it as a 1A, 1B, and then the field. When it comes to fight, fighter of the year, uh, performance of the year, the two runaway Star performances this year was Fury beating Wilder and Lopez beating Lomachenko. There were some other good top Javante you know, Davis had a good win over Leo Santa Cruz, and a lot of people, you know, thought that was the knockout of the year. I'll talk about that in a minute. But he was supposed to win that fight. He was the much larger man, uh, much more powerful puncher, much younger guy. You know what I'm saying? Like with Fury Wilder, man, there was a that was a 50-50 fight. A lot of people were picking Wilder. And with Lomachenko Lopez, most people were favoring Lomachenko. So those performances were outstanding. Yeah. I think uh, the way Lopez beat Lomachenko was very impressive. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say he was... Uh, to shut out, but I do think he won eight. And I think live, I thought he could have won eight or nine. I haven't rewatched it, but I think some people had it a bit closer. But I do think he won probably about eight, eight rounds to four. But that's about probably how we most people had it as well. And the Wilder fight with Fury, I know Wilder's very flawed, and you can't, there's no comparison between him and a guy like uh, Lomachenko. But I think Fury, the way he won it, it's like he barely lost a round. I think that was. Was mm-hmm. so impressive about it. The good thing about uh, I think Tom Green tweeted that this was the first time they've done it in 35 years. So it wasn't the first time it's happened that you've had joint uh, fight of the year awards go to two different fighters. So that was a good thing. Right. If they gave it just to Fury ahead of Lopez, I, I probably would have had a problem with that because I think what Lopez did was probably the standout of the year. The only other rival. That could come closest, probably Fury's fight with Wilder, or Fury just dominated Wilder. But I was going to say, you know, regarding the knockout of the year, what do you look at? Do you look at the punch, or do you look at who the guy's fighting? Because last year, I thought Wilder knocking out Brazil was, if I'm just talking about just the KO of the year, the shot, that was, I thought, the KO of the year. But Brazil was a limited guy, so I can see why so many people had Wilder's knockout over Ortiz or something else. But right. like this year, this year I think you could argue Javante Davis's shot over Leo Santa Cruz just a knockout. Uh, I think that was the knockout of the year with Povetkin. I can see why people had it, but both those guys are heavyweights. Uh, but actually, in a way, I could see. I think you could argue either way. But I personally thought the Javante Davis knockout just a shot. Uh, 
probably Pepsi for me. Yeah, I in terms of style points and just the brute the brutality of it and everything else. I mean, you could certainly say Javante Davis over Leo Santa Cruz, and like a lot of people are picking that as the uh, knockout of the year. And there's a lot of people that that thought it was the fight of the year. I, you're not really going to get any argument from me. It's just for me when I look at knockout. Um, the big boys, there's something about heavyweights for me that stands out. Um, also, the fact that Povetkin was the underdog in this fight with Dillian White. He had been dropped twice in the previous round. And people forget, yeah. White White was out cold too. He was out on the ropes, uh, unconscious for a minute there as well. Maybe not as long as Leo Santa Cruz. Maybe it didn't look quite as violent. But that was a hell of a knockout. And we've seen White get buzzed. We've seen him get dropped. No one's ever done that to him. Because people said, well, no one's you know, ever knocked out Leo Santa Cruz as well. I understand that. But Leo Santa Cruz started this fight as, what, a bantamweight? And he was you know, fighting a guy at 130 who barely squeezes down to 130. So just all things considered, I edge it to Povetkin White. But if somebody else, like if you, if you thought it was Davis Santa Cruz, I wouldn't be mad at that. That was an outstanding knockout. Yeah, you know, you definitely make good points because uh, Santa Cruz is essentially a blown up. Uh, I wouldn't even say featherweight. I'd say maybe a super bantamweight. I even right. thought that featherweight was too small. So yep. that fight happening a super featherweight uh, was essentially too much. And uh, Povetkin did get dropped twice uh, with White uh, and. Uh, both those knockouts in their own right were really good. I think the thing with the Santa Cruz one uh, was the fact that those guys are so small. You don't see, like, I think Roger Davis has been, has been fighting guys that have been much smaller than him, but I've never seen a guy knocking out someone in that weight class for a long time, like, that small. And pound for pound, knocking out people like that, putting to sleep, uh, I think it's been impressive. I'd probably have to go back to someone like... Uh, I can't remember too recently, but someone in the smaller weight class, probably like someone like, like Nassim Ahmed. Which, well, Garcia, when Garcia knocked out Zatikin in, that was a brutal yeah. knockout. That was, that was, uh, was that 35? I want to say that was 135. And then Inouye's had some knockouts like that too. I think yeah. one of his knockouts in the tournament was like that. So it happens. But you're right. That's a really good point. It doesn't happen as often in those lower weights. So that is something to consider, definitely. Yeah, uh, um, that's why I, I can see why people have the Povetkin knockout as well. He was an underdog, and you're right, like he was 41. Before I drop off, I just want to say, uh, regarding Wilder, do you think if the Wilder-Fury fight doesn't happen and say Fury goes on to fight Joshua, do you think uh, Wilder will fight someone like Andy Ruiz, or do you think he'll take a soft touch? Because I've seen Michael Hunter calling him out as well, but... I'm not sure if he would take that sort of fight to Andy Ruiz. Um, well, I hope he fights someone like Andy Ruiz. But here's the thing. Wilder's not going to fight Fury next. And I'm not confident that third fight happens at all next year. I'm really not. But it's probably for the best. The thing with Wilder is he fancies himself a pay-per-view fighter now. So if you're going to put him on pay-per-view for his next fight, it can't be a soft touch. It, even though I, I would favor him to beat Andy Ruiz, I think. I'd have to think about it. But I, I that is a fight that, love it or hate it, they could put on pay-per-view because there's enough Wilder fans who would buy it. There's enough 
uh, Mexican-American fans that would buy it for Ruiz. So it, it would work on Fox pay-per-view. So if he wants to go the pay-per-view route, it has to be a name like that. He can't go in there against the Robert Hellenius who just beat Kavnachi this year uh, or somebody like that. You can't put that on pay-per-view. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. With the Ruiz fight, uh, I will agree to one thing. Ruiz has got a better victory than anything Wilder has got. So That's a good that point. you could sell. And he's unified the titles as well at heavyweight. Yeah, and demographically, that's a that's a easy fight to sell oh, yeah. here in the United States. So yeah, I mean, next yeah, year if that fight happens, I, I I'd welcome it. I think it'd be fun. Both of those guys are so flawed, but also so uh, with Wilder, he's got the power. With Ruiz, he's got the inside combinations, the fluidity. Uh, that'd be a fun fight, man. That'd be a fun fight. Yeah, I read uh, someone. I don't know if it's boxing team. They were saying Ruiz has lost twenty pounds or something. If Ruiz <laughs> in, in shape. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I people have been saying that about Andy for over a decade, and I've been telling people Andy's not going to change who he is. And by the time he finally does, it's going to be too late. So you know, we all yeah. we all mature at different speeds and rates and everything. You know, so I'm not going to judge, but um, he's just not that guy. He's just not that guy. He's uh, he's not consistent. He no. he loved the odd few good performance, and then he's ripped off. Yeah, I, I agree with you because that's. That's why I thought after he beat Joshua, a lot of people were writing Joshua off, but I thought uh, the rematch, I favored Joshua even after the fight. Like only a couple of weeks yep. later, I thought uh, this was all down to Joshua just losing it. I thought yep. credit to Andy Ruiz, he capitalized and took the fight, which others didn't, but I think that was one of those moments, like you say, he hit the lightning. Yep. You know, like he just he had the lottery in a way. But thanks for taking my call and appreciate it. And I'll speak to you soon. All right, brother. Ha- um, happy New Year, Hamid. Yeah, happy New Year, man. Right. Have a nice day. You too. There he goes. Good stuff, my man. Good stuff, my man. Um, yeah. So if you guys, uh, just to reiterate, my knockout of the year is Povetkin over White. I gave the reasons why. Much older fighter. He was the underdog. He was down twice in the previous round. And he, he KO'd a guy that's never been KO'd like that. People forget White was out of it on the ropes like that for, for a minute as well. But if you liked Davis over Santa Cruz, no argument from me. I get it. It's just I look at it like Davis was supposed to win that fight. Much bigger guy, younger, stronger, all of that. And as Hamed pointed out, I think Santa Cruz only had two or three fights at uh, featherweight, and he never fought an elite-level featherweight. His fights with Frampton, you got to remember, Frampton came from the lower weight classes as well, and he went one-to-one in those fights. There should have been a third one. There never was. I think there was a reason for that. And then uh, I think he had one fight at 130 or something. That doesn't prepare you for Javante Davis. Also, when you look at rounds, Man, he was fighting pretty even with Davis up until that point. So anyway, I, I just I shade it to Povetkin White. Let's talk real quick about trainer of the year. And there's several good candidates you can mention, man. Robert Garcia, obviously. Eddie Reynoso, obviously. Both of those guys have built up some really good stables. Sugar Hill, obviously, deserves a mention for what he did with Tyson Fury. Holy hell. That, that turnaround that he did with Tyson Fury... Everyone is is just waiting to see if they can keep that going and we see Fury get even better in 2021. I mean, Sugar Hill 
did an amazing job with Fury. And then uh, Derek James, he deserves credit. Uh, not only for getting Errol Spence back in shape, but a lot of people don't know this, man. Derek James had a lot of health issues this year, and he was working hurt. He was working on the job, injured, and uh, deserves credit for that. Uh, let's see, who am I forgetting, man? Uh, Tiafimo Lopez Sr. Of course you got to mention him, but I kind of look at him as like, look, your son is one in a million. When I look at trainers of the year, most of the time, I want to see them working with multiple fighters. A couple years ago, Vasily Lomachenko Sr., right? Vasily Lomachenko's father was, I'm sorry, Anatoly Lomachenko is Vasily's father, uh, was trainer of the year. But it wasn't just for his work with Loma. It was for his work with Alexander Usyk. He was working with Usyk at the time. And that's why I felt, okay, dude, you've got two fighters here who are on the pound for poundless doing big things. That puts you up. But I usually don't rate a guy if he's uh, the father of a one-in-a-million type of fighter, uh, which obviously Tiafima Lopez is. So anyway, all those guys are top candidates. Man, I edge it to Robert Garcia. I just There's several guys he trains, and I know some of them have taken some L's, but he won a lot more than he lost this year. I was very impressed with what he did with Joshua Franco in that first fight against Maloney. I thought Maloney was going to win that fight. There was marked improvement from Franco. Now, it didn't go as well in the second fight, but there was an injury, so it's hard to really judge. Uh, but I just think Robert Garcia has built up a really good stable there. and He has had one for years, but some of the work he's done, taking a guy like Joshua Franco, who nobody was looking at and saying, oh, yeah, this guy's a future champ, uh, and now he's got a title. You know what I'm saying? And it, Regardless of what happened in the second fight, I know that was highly controversial. That was out of Robert Garcia's hands. But just in terms of what he's done and what his stable was able to do this year, very impressive. But everyone that I had mentioned uh, deserves consideration for, for different reasons. Uh, and again, Eddie Reynoso trains the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world. And if you just look at the way Canelo's improved as he's moved up in weight and everything, uh, maybe you want to give it to Reynoso at I wouldn't be bad at you. I just shade it to Robert Garcia. Uh, Soros Loser Award. Okay, come on. Is there anyone else other than Deontay Wilder? Now, Vasily Lomachenko is a candidate, and there's a couple other guys that we can put on the list as candidates for sure. Maybe the runner-up is Lomachenko for his bribery comments, but this is a runaway favorite, Deontay Wilder, Soros Loser of 2020. Let's talk real quick about prospect of the year. Now, this is where I get excited because I love this sport. I'm passionate about it. And I really, really think we have a great crop of prospects right now. In fact, I think the prospects we have right now, the 2020 crop, is better than the crop we had around 2010. I really, truly believe that, it, especially in the lower weight classes. Maybe not the higher weight classes. But, man, we've got some um, some really good talent coming up. And, I mean, when you look at uh, prospects this year, uh, Charles Conwell, 14-0, 154-pounder, 23 years old. He went 3-0 this year, quietly went 3-0. Friend of the show, right? He's been on the show. Another guy who's been on the show, Gabriel Flores Jr., 19-0, only 20 years old, 130-pounder. He had a good year. Jesse Rodriguez is a flyweight prospect, 20 years old. He went 13-0. I'm sorry, he's 13-0, his record. He had a good 
2020. Uh, Edgar Berlanga, we have to mention him, right? 16-0, and uh, all first-round knockouts, super middleweight. Um, we have to mention him. I think he's in, he's in the discussion based on his dominance. We know who he's fighting. I get it. I hear it, guys. But he deserves consideration. Uh, Daniar Yelusinov. Really good-looking prospect. 10-0, welterweight. Uh, you got to call him a prospect at all. I think he's ready to start contending next year. I'm going to give this to Charles Conwell. I, I, I think that he is very quietly. You saw in his last performance what he did. And considering what he went through last year in the ring against Patrick Day, I think that's he's kind of really flying under the radar. I don't quite understand why there aren't more people talking about this guy um, I'm impressed with him, man. Again, 14-0, uh, junior middleweight prospect, only 23 years old. He's a young guy, too. Went 3-0 and this year, uh, steadily built up the, op- the you leveled up the opposition. I think that he's going to uh, really start to get on people's radars in 2021. He is my 2020 prospect of the year, Charles Conwell. Okay, last one, promoter slash network of the year. You have to... You can't just do promoter of the year because all these promoters have these exclusive deals with these networks, right? So it's promoter slash network of the year. Hands down, this is another obvious one. Top rank. How can you say any other promoter had a better year than top rank? At ESPN, no other network in boxing had a better year and serviced the fans better than ESPN. Uh, the biggest commercial fight this year, the biggest financial fight, was between Tyson Fury, obviously, and Deontay Wilder, their second fight. Top rank had a piece of that. They were a big part of putting it all together, obviously, promoting it, and their guy won. And then the biggest, most important fight of the year was between Lopez and Loma, and that was all top rank, and that was on regular ESPN. It did almost $3 million for viewership. <clears throat> that might not sound that huge, but... Compared to all the other ratings we saw this year and the pay-per-view sales, which were abysmal, especially post-COVID. So if a fight like that post-COVID do a rating of almost 3 million live, and remember guys, these are lightweights. This was a very unknown fighter in Lopez and a quote-unquote foreign fighter in Lomachenko. So the fact that that did almost 3 million, and remember... Sports across the board, the ratings were down here. It wasn't just boxing. It was all over across sports post-COVID. So to do that kind of a rating, that's awesome. And then, of course, they were the first to bring back boxing after the lockdowns. They really led the way. What Dana White did for MMA, UFC, bringing that back, keeping that going post-COVID, Top Rank did their version of that in boxing. And now... I understand that the matchups in the bubble series, the first phase of it over the summer, they weren't big matchups, but they kept their dudes busy. They kept their young guys busy. They kept a couple of their title holders busy. There was also a couple of great upsets, some fight of the year candidates mixed in there. Guys, I mean, they had an outstanding year. Oh, yeah. Zapeda Baranchek, right? All of that, because that was on ESPN, right? Am I losing my mind? It was memory serving me correctly. That was on ESPN too. So, like, hands down, top rank ESPN, the promoter slash network of the year. I don't know how you could say 
anyone else even came close. Okay, let's go to the fight review real real quick. And I see Hamid in the chat mentioned Garcia versus Campbell is a good fight this weekend. Hell yeah, we're going to get to that. Also, uh, Boxing and Bulldogs says KO of the year is Jake Paul. Holy shit, I forgot all about that one. Look, it's in the top 10. Jake Paul, Nate Robinson, I I don't really consider either one of them boxers. That's no knock on – Jake Paul trains like one. Uh, and Nate Robinson obviously wasn't one if you watched that fight. But that knockout, considering the platform, uh, it, it trended on social. Don't shoot the messenger, guys, but that's a candidate for knockout of the year. I don't put it above Gervonta Davis, Santa Cruz, or or uh, and White. I don't put it there. But it's in probably in the top five. I think you have to put it there. 2020, man. Crazy. Like no other. Okay. Let's go to the review. And um, since we didn't have a show last week, I want to quickly, very, very quickly go over two weeks worth of fights. Okay. I'm not going to spend too long on this. But the week of December 19th, we saw wins by Tim Zhu in Australia, a crowd of over 11,000. He is developing as a star over there already. Uh, Charles Conwell, who I just talked about, Gilberto Ramirez, a fight nobody saw, Jerron Ennis, and Chris Vanderheen, uh, Van Heerden, sorry, fought to a no contest. That was unfortunate. Uh, Ennis looked really good early on. He was really, really dialed in. I'm super excited about that guy. I don't, I don't know if he has world-class power, but he pretty much has everything else. We'll find out about the chin later on. But uh, that fight uh, ended abruptly with a really bad cut. With Van Heerden. I I filmed a video of that cut uh, just off my TV on my phone and I tweeted it. And man, you just see blood pouring off Van Heerden's uh, face. I mean, it was it was pretty nasty. I talked about Emmanuel Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez getting robbed against Raymart Gabayo. Let's name and shame those judges again. John Mackey and Don Trella. Gennady Golovkin beat Camille Zermeda. Uh, let's talk about that really briefly. Uh, a lot of people were shitting all over Gennady Golovkin for this fight. Don't quite understand it. It was a mandatory. Now, if his very next fight is against a limited opponent, I'll be the first to criticize because his schedule, his last three fights, hasn't been particularly strong. However, the overall body of work the last three years, pretty strong. Canelo twice, Derevyanchenko, and the fights against Canelo and Derevyanchenko were fight of the year candidates. He also beat Danny Jacobs before Canelo did. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty impressive body of work. Hopefully he gets back to that next year. I think his next fight is going to be against Jaime Munguia. Love it or hate it, Jaime Munguia is a top 10 middleweight, and that fight will produce action. It will be a fight of the year candidate, mark my words. Very strong possibility we get that fight. And then he fights Canelo again. That's not a bad 2021 for Golovkin. Uh, Speaking of Canelo, he beat Callum Smith. There was a lot of shit talk about this fight. I understand Canelo is the top guy in the sport, money man. When you're the top guy, you're going to get top criticism. So there are some people that overly criticize Canelo. And there are some people that overly fillet him and overly compliment him. I look at this fight, this fight against Smith, as him fighting the guy who was rated number one, right? Uh, rated number one 
but wasn't necessarily the best fighter in the division. I don't think Callum Smith is an elite level fighter. I think this was opportunistic matchmaking. I understand all of that. Smith, Benavidez, Plant, Saunders, all these guys are pretty much on the same level. However, I'd favor all of them to beat Smith. All of them. But having said all that, Canelo looked outstanding. And he was still in there with a guy that's like 17 inches taller, hadn't officially lost a fight as a pro, and he absolutely beat the brakes off the guy. Great performance. And you know what? Canelo Alvarez is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in boxing right now. If you don't have Canelo rated number one, I I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know what to tell you. In a way, could be the guy. Crawford could be the guy. There are a couple others right around there. But if you look at the overall body of work, the last three years specifically, 2018, 2019, and then this year, 2020, if you look at who he's beat, how he's beat them, Even if you thought, which I did, that he pretty much fought on even terms with Golovkin in their rematch in 2018. Even if if you thought Golovkin edged it. I scored at 115-113 for Golovkin, their rematch. So what? Winning five rounds against Golovkin at that time, who was probably, could have been the best fighter in the world. Definitely one of the top three or four best fighters in the world at that time. Definitely the best middleweight. Just going on even terms with him... And then going on and beating Jacobs, and I get it, the way he beat Kovalev, the timing of it, Smith, I understand, guys. I just don't know if there's any other fighter in the last three years that's produced as much as Canelo, the way he's done it. He's number one pound for pound right now based off that performance. Uh, Kouster in the chat says, I'm down for Triple G Mungia. Yes, yes, yes. And the, I thought you said on there, somebody on there said uh, Triple G Murata. I forgot Murata. There is a possibility we could see Golovkin Murata at some point. I really think we could see that. Um, Kuster says, Inouye knocked out nothing but champs who were never KO'd and no gift decisions. I got you. Look, if you have Inouye there, okay. I look at Inouye's best win as being, as being the Nito Donaire win. If you consider where Donaire was at the, you know, that stage of his career and everything else, great win. That was a coming-of-age win for Inouye. Um, I just don't know if he's beat the level of opposition or uh, let me put it this way, fought the level of opposition that Canelo has. Guys like Golovkin who are who were proven pound for pound level fighters at at the best, at least close to their best. In a way, hasn't fought that guy yet. He hasn't fought anybody else on the pound for pound list yet. You know what I'm saying? Not not as many people as Canelo has. So so um I get it, man. Inouye might be the guy. He really, really might. I want to see Inouye move up to 22. I want to see him um, continue his, his dominance. If you if you, <clears throat> if you you rate Inouye there, I ain't mad at you. For me, right now, Canelo has just done uh, the best body of work overall, and I get it. A lot of people don't like the opportunistic matchmaking, uh, him having all the benefits, him making guys cut weight gain weight, uh, come back off a very short turnaround, off a brutal fight. I get it. He fights guys when they're way past their prime. He's never dominated an elite-level fighter. Never. I get it. I get all that. I'm saying right now, today, December, what is this, December 28th, he's the pound-for-pound number one guy. That could change very quickly. 
The next time Inouye fights, I might change my mind. The next time Crawford fights, I might change my mind. The next time Tiafima Lopez fights, could change my mind. But right now, today, I rate Canelo number one. And no, that's not a a Golden Boy shill thing. Because remember, guys, Canelo told Golden Boy to go get screwed. So it's funny. If I'm a Golden Boy shill working at ring, I didn't rate Canelo number one pound for pound until after he became a non-Golden Boy fighter. So how does that work? Okay. There was also a PBC and FS1 uh, show on Saturday, December 26th. A lot of people bashed the hell out of this card because it was a showcase card with a lot of prospects. This is, generally speaking, the kind of card you get at the very end of the year. I didn't mind it. It was on FS1. If this was on Fox or Showtime or something, I would have scratched my head. The one part about this card I didn't like was James Kirkland was fighting on this freaking card. KO'd in the first round. Dropped, KO'd, looked terrible. If this guy ever gets licensed to fight again, shame on PBC for putting him on anyway, in a main event no less. But if he ever gets put on again and gets sanctioned again, shame on everyone involved in that. This guy clearly is gone. Clearly. He's been gone for years. Let's stop. Anyway, uh, 22-year-old Cuban prospect, who I could have put in my prospect of the year top 10 or so, uh, David Morrell, improved a 4-0 with a good uh, KO3 win. Uh, a little bit more about him. He was a good regional, mostly regional-level amateur in Cuba. Fought one fight in the World Series of Boxing. Um, so, uh, super middleweight, southpaw, uh, young guy, 22 years old. It's, it's crazy to see a Cuban-born fighter at 22 years old already fighting pro. You just don't see that a lot. So, it's going to be interesting to watch him develop. Upset special, Angel Barrientes lost by KO4, dropped hard off a right hand. Ref, he got up, but the ref stopped it. Some people thought it was premature, whatever. I, I didn't think, I, I had no issue with the stoppage. At first, my gut reaction was, this is premature. But then you think, man, this kid's young as hell. Why not, you know, don't take all that punishment. Run it back. Do an immediate rematch with this guy is what I think they should do. But, of course, the Barrientos twins have been here on the, on the show. We've talked to them. Uh, they got both of them, good heads on their shoulders, a lot of talent, a lot of um, potential. But Angel got in there, right guy, or right guy, right time, you know, perfect storm, gets caught, loses KO4. You know what? So what? If he comes back from this and he looks improved, it doesn't change my opinion uh, on all the things I just said. Good head in the shoulders, potential. But he's got to cover, he's got to be able to hold and cover up when he's hurt. He's got to be able to respond better when he gets clipped. Let's see if he can learn that lesson going forward. Okay. That is the review. I should also mention one more time, uh, Carlos Gongora, KO12 win over Ali Akhmadov, upset special, fight of the year candidate. That was an awesome fight. If you haven't seen that, go check it out. That was the highlight of the Triple G's, their meta card on the zone a couple weeks back. Okay, preview. Um, Thursday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, Tokyo, Japan, Kazut. Kazuto Ioka, I can't talk today, putting his 115-pound title on the line against Kosei Tanaka, who is 15-0. Ioka has won titles at 105, 108, 112, 115. Tanaka, 105, 108, 112, going for his first title at 115. So uh, people keep asking me, who am I picking in this fight? It's a close one. It really is close. Uh, Tanaka, I'm sorry, Ioka is the more accomplished 
overall fighter in the pro game. He's fought the better opposition. He's, he's his veteran. He's been in there with better fighters. He's lost a couple of fights. But uh, he's also been at 115 longer. More established guy. But Tanaka is the younger man, much more accomplished amateur. Has that amateur background that I think is going to help him. I expect him to win this fight. I also expect it to be a fight of the year candidate. Do not miss it. If there's any way for you to see it, and unfortunately... It's not, it hasn't been picked up by ESPN Plus or DAZN. I don't know what the hell these people are thinking. Some platform should pick up this damn fight. Every year Japan does these uh, New Year's Eve cards, and they're always good. I don't understand why one of these streaming platforms doesn't pick it up. It'd be perfect on DAZN. Hopefully that changes and we get some good news in the next day or two, and we find out they picked it up. But as far as I know, it's going to be hard to find this one. But if you can find a stream, check it out. It'll be it'll be worth it. Trust me. All right, Saturday, January second in Dallas, Texas, on the zone. First fight of 2021. We're not going to have to wait long. It's just the second day of the year. You get a really interesting fight here. Uh, some interesting fights on the undercard. Real quick, uh, the Alvarado brothers, Renee and Felix, are fighting. Uh, of course, they are from Nicaragua. Renee Alvarado fighting Venezuelan Roger Gutierrez for his regular junior lightweight title. Freaking WBA, man. And Felix Alvarado going up against a South African fighter, uh, DJ Creel. This is for Alvarado's IBF junior flyweight title. So even though these dudes are brothers, they're different sizes. Uh, Creel had a title at 105. He's a smaller guy moving up to 108. Alvarado, Felix Alvarado, won his title in the Philippines. His first defense was in Japan. He is fighting for the first time in the USA here. Uh, for this title defense. So he is um, a world traveler. He's definitely done it on the road the hard way. Rene Alvarado has always been a tough guy, uh, coming off an upset win over Andrew Cancio last November. And he has hung tough with some really good fighters like Joseph Diaz and others. Uh, So he always puts on a show. Those are both going to be fun fights. Definitely check those out, guys. But main event, Ryan Garcia, 20-0, 17 knockouts versus Luke Campbell, 20-3 for a vacant interim lightweight title, whatever the hell that means. Um, Let's talk about this one, man. I I love this matchup. I get excited when I see young, undefeated prospects um, challenging themselves, risking the O, stepping up the level of oppositions, right? We saw that with Devin Haney. I'm sorry, Devin Haney. We haven't seen that with him. We saw that with Tiafima Lopez earlier this year. We actually saw Tiafima Lopez go through this process last year and stepped up the opposition a little bit. And then uh, the Richard Comey fight. That's kind of how I look at this fight with Garcia. Uh, but Luke Campbell, three losses, but he's fought the best. He's fought Linares when he was still Linares, Lomachenko, and he's hung well. He's, people forget, man, this guy has a gold medal in the Olympics. Very experienced fighter. However, this will be his first fight since that loss to Lomachenko last August. So there's going to be some ring rust there. He has not been in the ring in a while. What's interesting about this fight to me is uh, there's an 11-year age difference. Garcia is 11 years younger, but these guys are pretty similar with their height and their length. We haven't seen Garcia in the ring against a tall, long, skilled, experienced fighter yet. He's been in there against a couple of decent fighters, but they've usually been shorter, 
um, you know, height-wise and length-wise. They were not able to get to him with their punches. Campbell will. Campbell has long arms. He has experience. He understands how to time guys. And I do think early on, Campbell's going to have some moments, and he is going to touch Garcia and force him to make adjustments, to think, and face uh, some adversity for the first time in his young career. So I'm so interested to see that. Uh, For Garcia, again, I mentioned that this was a big step up. There's an X factor here, and this might make some of you guys laugh, but I'm going to call it swag points. Garcia has a lot of swag, and in this matchup, he has all the swag points. Okay, um, I, I just I know it's it's an X factor, it's an intangible, it's not something you put on a box score in terms of numbers, but he has a certain amount of youthful exuberance, swag. You want to call it cockiness, arrogance? Okay. However you want to label it, I think that's going to serve him well here. I think that a lot of that is going to help him not even realize the magnitude of the event he's in. Because uh, he, he's, he's going to step up in class here. But there's also this explosiveness factor. I talked about the fighters that Campbell has faced. Linares is an explosive fighter, but people forget he started in the lower weights and he moved up in weight. I want to say he started at 126 and he's moved up. Lomachenko, never been an explosive puncher, and he's really a featherweight that fights at lightweight. So he, you know, he uses angles and boxing to beat you. Campbell's never been in the ring with a guy like Garcia who punches the way he does with the explosive, fast-twitch fibers. A guy this young, this tall, this long, who punches like that. I mean, Garcia's hook comes way from over here, and he'll faint, he'll come with a jab, and he'll step forward like he's going to jab and pull back this hook way back here and, and slap you with it. And he can do that at range, at the same range you throw a jab. He's really developed under Eddie Reynoso and working with Canelo. Uh, that's been great for him. So here's what I expect. I expect some early uh, scares for Team Garcia. I expect some early success for Campbell. I think he's going to box well early on. I think his boxing is going to give Garcia something to think about. We're going to see some learning up and growing up on the job in terms of you know, watching Garcia early in this fight. Middle rounds, I like to see some adjustments from Garcia and his speed to start to bother Campbell. And I think he's going to start touching him up. And I think he's going to stop Luke Campbell in the later rounds of this fight. I think we're going to see a statement performance from Ryan Garcia. This prediction won't be popular with a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there picking Campbell, and I understand why. All the things I said earlier, he's experienced. This is the first guy that's going to be, uh, Garcia's going to be in the ring, and he won't be looking down at him. He'll be looking across. And all the length and everything Garcia has, so does Campbell. That's going to take some time for Garcia to adjust to. But I just think there's explosiveness with this kid, and again, I'm going to call it swag points. I, I, th- those those swag points that he has are going to uh, start to have an effect with the psychology of this fight. And he's going to start to touch Campbell uh, with some hard, snapping, twitchy punches. And I think he's going to stop him, man. That's how I see it. Maybe I'll look crazy. Maybe. But it wouldn't be the first time. Certainly won't be the last. Anyway. Uh, let's see. In the chat, Costas says, it's a shame no one in the U.S. has picked up 
uh, Ioka versus Tanaka yet. Oh, well, fingers crossed for a decent stream. I hear you, my man. I think that's a damn shame that nobody's picked up that fight. Again, I, I think it makes perfect sense for the zone. They're trying to launch. Uh, they already have launched at all these channels. That's the type of fight you need to pick up to service your global clients. And it would probably come fairly cheap. So I don't know why uh, they haven't done it. But hey, man, I don't make these decisions. All right, got the outro music here. Uh, Timmy Turner in the chat says, Triple G wasn't prime when he fought Canelo. He was already 35 years old in that first fight. Good point. He was 36 years old in the second fight. The same age Floyd was when he fought a green Canelo. Floyd gets all this credit for fighting Canelo when he was 36. Triple G was 36 and he fought a prime Canelo, a monster. And he doesn't seem to get the same credit. Why is that? Hmm... A question to ponder <laughs> as we uh, wrap it up, guys. What a great year of the Neutral Corner. Thank you so much for all your support. 2021 is going to be awesome. I'm wishing all of you out there happy holidays, happy new year, have a safe one, have fun, and I'll see you guys in 2021.